Hello, and welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast on growing your business in the federal sector. Growth Masters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The purpose is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. Your host is Shirley Colliger, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing comprehensive, data-driven business development playbooks. The steady advancement of women-owned businesses into leadership positions in the number of startups, employment, minority-owned businesses, and other key areas has not happened by accident or without a prolonged, systematic, and concentrated effort. Organizations such as Women Impacting Public Policy, aka WIP, WeBank, the Women's Business Enterprise National Council, and others have worked for the last two decades to support, educate, and advance the opportunities for women-owned businesses in the federal sector by creating set-aside certification and funding assistance programs and helping position women-owned businesses to achieve competitive success in the federal marketplace. In today's discussion, Shirley speaks with Candace Waterman, the newly appointed president and CEO of WIP, about her vision for the future of the organization and meeting the current and future needs of federal sector women-owned businesses. Today's conversation is entitled, WIP Leading the Way. And now here's your host, Shirley Collier, with her guest, Candace Waterman. Enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone, Shirley here. I am so excited about today's podcast. I have the privilege of speaking with Candace Waterman, who is the president and CEO of Women Impacting Public Policy, also known as WIP. Welcome, Candace. Thank you, Shirley. How are you today? I am great. It is such a pleasure to get to talk to you. I'm so excited about WIP. I want to tell the audience a little bit about your background, but then I'm going to ask you to kind of pick up and carry the ball. Um, Candace is president and CEO of Women Impacting Public Policy the nation's largest public policy organization for women and minority entrepreneurs. Candace is a nationally recognized and respected business thought leader whose 30-year industry expertise spans multiple disciplines, including but not limited to domestic and international business certification, diversity and inclusion, procurement, mindfulness leadership, and multi-generational talent management. She has a fascinating background and vision for WIP. So to, to get us started here, Candace, tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and the organization Women Impacting Public Policy. Absolutely. So I will first and foremost say thank you very much for having me. I am thrilled to be able to talk to you today. Um, it's exciting, and, and I thank you for the work that you're doing in this space and giving leaders like myself a voice and so that we can really have a conversation around issues that relate to women, women entrepreneurs, women leaders, and women policymakers. So I thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. So, yes. So as you said, I am, you know, president and CEO of WIP, and I am very proud of this. 
Um, I came on board this past spring, and it has been an amazing last six months, if you will. It feels like a year, but in a good way. Um, but it, it has only been about six months. Um, as many of your listeners know, I have been a really fierce small business advocate um, really since the 80s, as I say. It started at a, a very young age um, when I started several successful ventures um, in my home state of Michigan. So hello to all you Michiganians out there. Um, I really made the, the jump to advocacy in the women's space around 15, 20 years ago, and it's really changed my life, right? So I clearly I am a woman. I believe in leveling the playing field for us. And so, you know, what I do in the, the advocacy piece almost comes second nature, right? Um, and as I really think about, you know, my background and where I came from, you know, as, a, as I say, a little brown girl from Detroit, you know, I've dreamed of this life, but it still makes me smile that I'm realizing that I'm living my dream right now. I just couldn't be happier because I feel like I've hit um, what I call the trifecta. I love what I do. I am have a huge passion around why I do it, and I am in awe of the amazing women leaders like yourself that I get to work alongside with every day. So this position that I am in right now um, to really have an impact um, on the way that business is done in this country with women, I just couldn't feel more proud of that. Um, from, from a WIP perspective, the organization has always been close to my heart. Even when I was with WeBank, um, I managed the relationship with WIP. And so, as you know, WIP was founded in 2001 and really established to be the connection between the voices of underrepresented women business owners and our legislators, right, who really regulate, enforce, and determine the economic landscape of this nation. Um, in 2001, uh, we have been on the ground not only in Washington, D.C., but across the nation, advocating, educating, and engaging um, our members and their representatives and senators where they are, because all politics are local. Yes. So it's are. been amazing. I know that um, uh, you have a lot to say. And I am so pleased to have you uh, here today. I'm hoping that in this podcast, we can capture just a few of WIP's incredible achievements. So tell us, what has WIP accomplished for women-owned small businesses specifically? So I am really, really, really proud to, to talk about this. Um, first and foremost, I have to say that I stand on the shoulders of our great founder, Barbara Kassoff, right? All of us are here because of someone. And I have the amazing good fortune of standing on her shoulders and the amazing foundation that she laid, right, for WIP yes. and what she was able to accomplish. And first and foremost, if, in fact, you are working with the federal government as a designated Woman-Owned Small Business, or WOSB, right, as we more lovingly say, <laughs> um, it was WIP that made that designation possible. You know, in 2011, led by Ann Sullivan, our chief advocate officer, who I just met with earlier today, um, WIP finished eight years of work that led to the recognition of this program. So WIP has always been at the forefront of advocacy for women-owned small businesses. 
And I really have to say, you know, advocacy is not quick work. You know, there, <laughs> it took eight there are years. times that exactly, exactly, um, especially advocacy on the, the federal level, right? Um, I know that there are some things that may take us a very um, short time, and then there are some that are going to take us eight or ten years or more, right? And so it just is very, very um, makes me very proud to be able to say what we have done to impact this space. So, Candace, some of our listeners may not be familiar with that long, arduous journey that was necessary for the Women-Owned Small Business Program to achieve parity with other set-aside programs like the 8A and the Hub Zone and SDVOSB program. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, for a long time, the working with women-owned small businesses and, and doing the work was really a goal, right, uh, quote-unquote, with, but with not a lot of teeth behind it, right? And then, you know, became a set-aside with certification requirements and specific contract requirements, which really did level the playing field for us as women, even though as women, we do cross these other segments that you talked about, right? 8A, Hub Zone, um, SD, VOSB. But having a true women-owned set-aside, this really sort of made a line of demarcation for us that we needed to have a program that stood up against the rest of them, just in, in all honesty, to do nothing but level the playing field for us in business. You know, I have been a women-owned small business for over 25 years. And I can personally attest to the evolution of the set-aside program and what a huge difference it makes today as compared to 25 years ago when I first got started. Uh, so, oh, I can only imagine, <laughs> right, what you were going through at yeah, that time. So I can appreciate all the work that WIP has done. So, uh, Candace, what are the types of advocacy or education does WIP undertake? So I first and foremost, thank you for asking this question, because I think we are the best kept secret, and hopefully what we're talking about right now and the um, listeners that you have, we will become closer and closer to not being that. Um, I, I'm sure that my marketing team is going to get upset with me, but I have to say it. I want WIP to be the Kleenex of advocacy. When you say that you you need a tissue, right, but you don't say I need a tissue, you say I need a Kleenex, right? That's yes. the brand that I want us to have in this advocacy and procurement education space. So, you know, what, what are we doing from an advocacy perspective or education? Um, I will quickly highlight um, our sort of uh, policy um, pillars, if you will, and around what we're really doing from the advocacy space. Um, one, we've talked about, right, the creating purity for our women-owned small businesses. We are doing that every single day. We want our women to have access and to have opportunity, and so we have to do that. Um, we are also talking about pivoting or repositioning the tax code, right, so that our women can have, um, you know, not be put out of business, right, because of the tax code. There is a delicate dance between being pro-small business and big business, and we just want to make certain that we are, are doing that. Um, we talk about uh, infrastructure improvements and ensuring that 
our women have access to Internet. We are in every part of this world, and part of that infrastructure improvement policy is to make certain that we have access to the Internet. That that makes a difference in any business that we're talking about. The um, fourth one is increasing access to capital for women. I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit and really delve into the disparity with respect to women and how we're getting loans and um, what percentage in that, but we are at the forefront of that policy as well. Um, the next is trade. We care about trade in this country and what it's doing to affect our women, from tariffs from to education around trade and what does it mean to your business. You know, we really have to care about that. And last but certainly not least is our workforce development platform. That gets very granular, and we talk about everything from safe work environment, which is a very positive way to talk about Me Too, not being offensive to it, but just ensuring that it's all-encompassing and that we're ensuring we have a safe work environment. Talk about the gig community. They're changing the face of this nation and the way people are doing business, right, when we talk about workforce. Right, you're talking about creating parity um, from uh, a pay perspective and some of those things. So those are our sort of six, if you will, policy platform um, items that we are really, really concerned about. And then quickly, just to talk about the education, just three um, critical items for our education platform, and that's around understanding the procurement landscape, building capacity for our women, and then last but certainly not least is building wealth. And that encompasses understanding access to capital. Do you have what you need to grow and, and or do you have what you need to exit from your company? So we are entrenched in both the advocacy side as well as the education side. Excellent. So I'd imagine that your policies span the gamut for businesses, women-owned small businesses of all sizes. So there are startup women-owned small businesses, others that are in the growth mode, and then others that are reaching maturity. So do your policy platforms affect companies at all stages of their life cycle? Oh, absolutely. And I really appreciate you saying that because we live in a world where one size does not fit all, right? It, It can't be. When a lot of the women's organizations started, I think, including WIP, right, and, and WeBank and some of the others, there was this sort of shotgun approach, right? Let's just go out there and represent everything in the same manner at the same time. However, now we have to be much more strategic and what I call laser-focused, right? So if I talk about women-owned small business program, we will talk about ensuring that we have um, vehicles that are in place to look at women who are small, large businesses, meaning mid-sized businesses, yes. right? Yes. So we've got to look at that. We've got to consider, you know, gl- the globalization in our economy. W- women are not regional anymore. They're doing business across this globe. So we've got to talk to them from that perspective. We've also got to talk to, about the women who want to keep a niche business and just have a lifestyle company that they would like to stay small. It works for them because they have a very specific niche that they are ensuring that they are providing solutions for. So you just have to approach it from a customized methodology perspective and understand 
that I am representing, and when I say I, I mean WIP, am representing women that crosses all of those segments. And that really is part of my ultimate vision for our organization, and that is people have a misnomer that WIP is just here in D.C., but we are across this globe. We are touching state and local government as well as global government. Um, I have just been asked to be a, a strategic advisor um, to the W20 uh, around policy, so you definitely know that's global. So yeah. we've got to think about our women not as a um, one type of company, but multifaceted. Yes, I would agree with that as well. And that small doesn't mean unsophisticated. It just oh, means small. no, not at all. <laughs> Some of these exactly. business models. I mean, and to your point, yes, small for manufacturing. You know, you're talking about a $40 million company. So certainly yes. those are not unsophisticated companies. Right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Exactly. Candice, we're going to pause here for a moment to allow our moderators to catch their breath and review the questions that have been submitted so far. When we come back, I'd like to address the topic of federal certifications. We'll be back shortly, so stay tuned. Today's presentation is brought to you by Scale to Market, and your host is Shirley Collier. Scale to Market helps businesses thrive and grow in the federal marketplace by developing and executing customized, data-driven business development playbooks. Visit our website at scaletomarket.com to find more podcasts, webinars, and other informative resources. Now back to our podcast, an interview with Candace Waterman, President and CEO of WIP. Welcome back. So let's talk about the third-party certification process, which a lot of people misunderstand. So can you talk about that, the, the certification, and the importance of that to federal contractors? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for talking about it. I, I think that you know probably better than, than most, but some of your listeners will know as well. You know, certification has been a sweet spot for me for many years, right, as um, the SME in this country as it relates to certification, international, you know, certification, business structures, and all of that. But specifically, as we talk about WOSB certification um, or third-party certification for WOSB firms, it's really one of the most misunderstood issues we confront in this space. So in 2011, when the WOSB program first started, self-certification was acceptable. And I think along the way, we realized that certification needs to be a, a vehicle that is going to mitigate waste, fraud, and abuse. At the end of the day, that's what we want to do because we know it takes one second for just one front company to ruin an, a, a program that's been put in place that we fought so hard for. So third-party certification is now required for sole source and direct awards. But, you know, the process, it, as I say, it, it's not rocket science, but it is, right? So when I say that, there is a lot of paperwork that you have to do, but it is worth it because you are going to authenticate yourself as a true woman-owned small business. You're going to have a site visit, and then the contracting officer can rest on that knowing you've been through that robust process and can really get down to their business, and that is issuing contracts. We don't want yes. them to have to be worried, is this a true authentic woman-owned firm or not? We want them to know it. And now let's get some money on the street. 
So if our listeners want to find out more information about where to go to get certified, where would you direct them? Well, there clearly are a couple of spots. If you are looking at um, for the woman-owned small business certification, sba.gov certainly is there. I am very proud to say that we have an amazing partnership with WeBank, um, and they provide WOSB certification because they are an approved third-party certifier. I know what that process is. I know what it entails. So I would implore women to also go there to wbenc.org as well. Um, Those are two amazing resources for certification. Excellent. So what does 2019 look like for women-owned small businesses in the federal marketplace? That that's a big question. Like right, the the sort of million dollar question around what does it look like. First and foremost, we have to really wait, right, and see what the priorities are going to be of the hundred and sixteenth Congress, which will be sworn in in January. We know we've had some changes from that perspective. In addition, though, our government relations team is monitoring all of the congressional appropriations that will really affect. Um, the budgets for several of the agencies in, in 2019. I will say this, there have been a couple of reports that have come out and there have been um, some identification of about 20 fiscal 2019 opportunities that are worth up to about $130 billion, right? That was 130 with a B, billion dollars. Wow. And so there are a number of the agencies um, who are going to account for the top 15 of these priorities. So everything from GSA, you know, defense agencies, um, VA, FAA, you have a number of those agencies who really are going to have a ton of contracts that are going to be out there and available for our women. But we want to make certain that even with those contracts being available, that our women are ready, willing, and able to fulfill those contracts. That's most important. There can be a a ton of opportunity, but you've got to know how to fulfill them once you have that opportunity there. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the changes that we saw as a result of the midterms and uh, the new Congress that's going to be sworn in uh, in January. People say, my vote doesn't count. Oh, God. I, you know, I have to tell you that I, it is not Candace saying this. I, I have coining many of the media outlets to say this is the century of the woman, the century <laughs> of the woman, yes. right? So more women than we have ever had in our history for women who have run. Women are there. They're at the forefront I know that they care about business, but I can't discount the amazing men who support us as well. So it is about both men and women who really care about us, who care about um, ensuring that we have a, a level playing field, and who it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on. As I was just speaking to a group of people and I said, you know, I am not red or blue, I am green. And why do I say that? Because I care about the bottom line of our women in business. Yes, yes. It's really, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. It's about opportunity and prosperity. Exactly. That is absolutely it. 
So, um, Candace, in preparation for our discussion today, I did some research, and I want to share with our audience some of these statistics, and I'd like to get your input. There are 9.1 million women-owned businesses nationwide, employing 7.9 million employees and generating $1.4 trillion in sales. That's according to the National Association of Women Business Owners, commonly known as NABO. According to a report sponsored by the American Express in 2017, over the past 20 years, so it was 1997 to 2017, the number of women-owned businesses has grown at 114% compared to the national overall growth of 44% for all businesses. The employment growth rate over the past 20 years was stronger for women-owned businesses than for all businesses, so 27% for women-owned small businesses versus 13% for others. And according to the SBA, 36% of all businesses are women-owned. But one of the most striking statistics that that I found was surprising to me was regarding minority-owned businesses. 47% of all minority-owned businesses are also women-owned. As, as compared to 32% for non-minority-owned businesses. And interestingly, over half, 59% of all African-American-owned businesses are owned by women. That means most of the African-American-owned businesses are, are owned and run by women. So are you seeing this groundswell in your travels around the country? You know, I am. And so I really appreciate you talking about this because as we talk about these numbers, the numbers that you just mentioned and the statistics that you just mentioned are absolutely astonishing, right? And and it's amazing that our women are right here, to your point, employing so many folks across the country. We're starting businesses at a faster rate. However, the disparity comes in where you talk about women owners and the quote-unquote annual receipts of their companies, right? So yes, particularly with women of color, they're opening businesses at a faster rate, but they also close at a faster rate because they do not have the necessary resources to ensure that they keep the doors open. And one of those necessary resources clearly is access to capital. Yes. So while I am excited about seeing this groundswell, while I witness it every day, I still see the disparity and the challenges and the uphill battle that women have as it relates to keeping their doors open. And, you know, I I say that they have to move from CEO meaning chief everything officer into a space where they are able to ensure that they've got resources to fulfill these contracts that they would have access to. You know, it does you no good if you get a $200 million contract and it costs you $199 million in, to fulfill it. Yes. yes right? So you've you sure. really got to pay attention to your strategies, you know, not open your doors just because you see an opportunity to open doors, but it's about keeping that door open so you can re- are providing a solution to something, right, and something that someone else needs, not just that you see that they need, but that also you are doing what you need to do to stay relevant in your particular industry. So 
tell me what WIP is doing on both sides of that equation. So what is WIP doing to educate federal decision makers who provide the loans and contracts to women-owned small businesses? And what is WIP doing specifically to help those women-owned small businesses then fulfill those contracts and prosper? So I am happy that you asked this question. Um, I will start first talking about what are we doing to educate the federal decision makers. I am very, very excited, as I, I said at the top of our conversation, right, that I stand on the shoulders of a giant. Our um, government relations team is working diligently every day to ensure we have opportunities. We're having conversations about where are the gaps, not just from the women's side, but also for, for them. You know, what are the gaps? What, what are the challenges that they are having in terms of ensuring that they have women that they can fold into the supply chain? So we have those conversations consistently, you know, providing training to them on the various vehicles, like the WOSB Federal Contracting Program, ensuring that they understand sole source and the rule of two and all of those things. So we want to make certain that they understand the rules of engagement around those vehicles as it relates to the women-owned small businesses. But then on the women's side, if we're on the Hill every day advocating that we want to create parity for our women business owners, then we also have to ensure that they are armed and dangerous, if you will, right? And that means that they are ready to fulfill those contracts. And that goes back to that vision that I talked about and part of our 2019 strategic direction around our procurement education platform. And in particular, two of those, and that is the procurement landscape and the building capacity, right? So the procurement landscape is, do you understand what it is to do business with the government? Is that the right customer for you, right? Understanding or navigating public and private sector opportunities, marketing to the government. Marketing to the government to GSA is very different than marketing to DOD and very different than marketing to the VA. So really understanding what you need to do to position yourself for success. And then capacity building, right? But not in the sense of the, you know, the normal, oh, let's build capacity. But it is really understanding, do you have the capacity to to win contracts? Do you understand, right, the security clearances or the cybersecurity mandates that are going to be put on you as a federal contractor? And even down to managing your HR, right, managing millennials, you know, your lead project managers, the gig community, um, in particular lead project managers. I spoke with one of our women-owned small businesses who had a five-year contract. You know, she listed her SME in that space, right, her lead project manager. Within two years, the person left. She had to do a course correction to get a new SME in there to ensure that she could still fulfill on the rest of that contract. Those are the things that are, are important as we talk about building capacity. And clearly we talked about the last one, and that is ensuring that you've got the financing available, right? So financing options, you know, what's out there for you? What should you go after? Because not everything, though it's green, not everything should, you know, should come into your pocket, right? Because you've got to understand terms and conditions, and you've got to understand that before signing contract, not after signing contract. Um, So, you know, there are a plethora of 
education, um, uh, critical education um, curriculum, if you will, that is useful for our women business owners to be successful, and we are ensuring that we're providing those. So, you know, I'm on the Hill advocating, but I'm also in the classroom educating. Yes, that's excellent. And I'm so glad to hear that you're addressing some of the more advanced topics that help women-owned small businesses prosper beyond startup. How do they grow and become profitable and prosperous? And there are not very many organizations that are addressing um, at that more advanced level. And so kudos to you and for, to WIP for addressing that, Candace. Well, thank you so much. You know, you, it went back to our conversation earlier, right? What, what are we doing to hit our women business owners at various life cycles of their business? And, and that's the way. It's definitely not the one-size-fit-all. But, yes. you know, where, let's meet you where you are and try to give you the tools to take you to the next level. So let's wrap up with a final question about what might be happening around the country and the marketplace that influences your vision for WIP, and what can we expect next from your organization? Oh, the one big word that I say you can expect from WIP that just makes my eyes light up and makes my heart sing is evolution. I, again, stand on the shoulders of a giant, and it's now time for us to take the baton and evolve into the next level of who WIP is. You know, I think that our organization is matching the evolution of our country. We're, we're changing. Our country is, so we need to change. WIP is going to turn 20 years old in 2021, and I'm excited about that. And I'm committed to ensuring that our organization continues to strengthen the impact of women entrepreneurs um, on our nation's public policy and that women-owned federal contracting organizations get their fair share of those contracts that are coming. So the, the two words are, or three words, evolution, sustainability, and relevancy. Those have to be at the forefront of who we are. And certainly with the help of my incredible, very committed, very supportive WIT board and our Leadership Advisory Council, we're taking the steps to streamline our membership experience, to measure our successes, and bring the education and engagement opportunities to more members in more places. And that goes back to regionalizing who we are in our touch points. Candace, thank you so much for explaining the policy platforms, your vision for the future, your insights. WIP is definitely in good hands. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you again for all you do. You know, I, I, as we, you and I talked a few months ago, I look forward to this beautiful relationship that we're going to have and you coming into the fold and helping to educate some of our women as well. So I thank you for this opportunity and this platform to get the word out, and I implore people to reach out to me. Let's talk. Be engaged. You know, use your voice. It's no longer good enough to have a seat at the table. You've got to have your voice, but you have to learn how to use your voice, and WIP will teach you how to do that. And there's strength in numbers. Absolutely there is. <laughs> so, folks, if you'd like to get in touch with Candace or join WIP, go to their website, www.wip.org, W-I-P-P.org, or send an email to Candace. She can be reached at cwaterman.com 
at WIP.org. This is Shirley Collier, signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com and subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal channel on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our webinar series on the Scale to Market website and join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal podcast.